0: of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Today, I'm going to start with the conclusion. The market is undergoing a healthy reset during this crash-prone month of October. But I believe, post-midterms, it should make an attempt to vault to new highs into the year-end. Thank you, and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join me today. The pullback in stock prices so far this month should be viewed, in my opinion, as a normal-type correction. Historically, stocks vacillate 5% between top and bottom in any given year. So where we are now isn't that far from the norm. We could even go down a bit more, and I suspect that we do. But on the other hand, the economy is doing great at the moment the recently released Conference Board's Leading Economic Index, also known as the LEA, which is a whole lot easier to say. The LEA showed on a year-over-year basis the strongest numbers since 2010, which usually means we have a solid outlook for the next several months. Heck, unemployment is at a lifetime low now. Nonetheless, the risks have undoubtedly increased given the trade and tariff concerns, weakness in the global markets, and let's not forget, tighter monetary policy. Looking underneath the hood, I still see the market breadth deteriorating. In other words, there are many more stocks hitting new 52-week lows compared to those hitting new 52-week highs. What is encouraging is the fact that the majority of short-term measures of investor psychology show excessive pessimism. Remember, these are contrarian indicators. When everybody else is bullish, excessively bullish, it might be time to take some money off the table. And when there's blood in the streets and everyone is either hiding in their basements or running for the hills, that's when you want to think about buying. I don't think we're quite there yet. So walk, don't run. For me to get excited about equities, I'm going to need some proof that the bottom has been reached. And what kind of proof are you talking about? Glad you asked. Well, you'll probably see a rotation out of the defensive type stocks to the more cyclical type names and the technology stocks. Typically, you'll also see small caps outperform, but I'll talk about those in just a minute. I'll also be looking for a contraction in volume on down days. Basically, people just getting tired of selling. If I see that, then that means the downward pressure has subsided and a bottom could be setting in. On top of that, I'd like to see, and this is my wish list here, I'd like to see the number of stocks hitting new lows getting smaller. And one last thing while I'm at it, I want to see at least one day, if not more, but at least one day where the upside volume outpaces the downside volume by 10 to one. Today, I want to spend some time on strategy. We'll be talking about small versus large, the little guys against the big guys and gals. But before we get to that, let's talk about some planning issues, specifically giving. It's the end of October. And before we know it, we're going to be in full holiday mode. And I always find myself behind the eight ball more often than not when it comes to giving meaning i want to make donations to the charities that i support but i usually rush around at the end of the year trying to get it done and i don't do it just for tax reason reasons but it just seems to end up that i'm trying to get these donations done at the end of the year it is the season of giving right if you're planning on contributing to a charity before the year end and you haven't taken your rmd your required minimum distribution from your ira and this is for people who are 70 and a half or older. Well, when you do this required minimum distribution, you can designate all or a portion of it to one or more charities that is up to $100,000. It's called a qualified charitable distribution or QDC, just to make it easy, or QCD, excuse me. Why is this a good idea? Well, One, you don't need to itemize your taxes to get the tax benefit. If you're planning on donating to a charity, why pay with out-of-the-pocket post-tax money? That's money that you've already been taxed on. When you can do the same thing with pre-tax IRA money, it basically saves you money. A QCD is essentially treated as a tax-free distribution, whereas a normal IRA RMD, those distributions are taxable as ordinary income. You do want to make sure that you or your accountant claims this correctly with the IRS or else you could get in some big trouble here. Your IRA custodian, that's the company that holds your money like the Vanguards or Fidelity, the IRA custodian isn't required to specifically identify the QCD on your annual 1099 form. And because of that, the responsibility is on you to inform your tax preparer that you did the QCD. If you don't let them know, well, then they're likely going to report it as fully taxable. That means you're paying income tax on it, which, of course, would negate the benefit of all your smart tax planning. Now, I really don't feel so bad about doing all my giving at the end of the year because, they probably appreciate the convenience of getting a lump sum rather than the smaller donations throughout the course of the year. Let me mention, I'm not an accountant. I don't even play one on TV. So before you do anything, talk to your tax person. And also the QCD option is only available to the traditional IRA holders. If you have a question or you need help, call us or email me at podcast at xmlfg that's podcast which is plural at xmlfg.com it's time for us to step away and when we come back i want to talk about strategy what types of stocks you should be looking at and what i think you'd want to avoid this is common sense investing and we are back in just a moment work hard you've saved and invested now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off. Now's the time to start planning for that future. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. No two people have the same goals and values. We can help you craft a framework for making a lifetime of smart financial decisions that's right for you. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Call us at 301-770-5234. Thank you and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. So glad you could join me today. I want to talk about strategy. I've had a number of people ask me how they should be positioned, this versus that. And there's always been this constant debate between growth and value and how one is outperforming the other at any given moment and when the other is going to come back and overtake the other one. Now, let's be clear here. Both types of investors are trying to make money. They're just going about it different ways. The value folks, well, they focus their attention on a company's fundamentals and less on the big picture. And the growth folks, they tend to focus on momentum and the technicals, you know, the squiggly lines on the chart. When this debate comes up, inevitably, there's a statement made to some effect that. Growth stocks are outperforming the value stocks, or something along those lines. To me, that's just way too broad of a statement to get anything meaningful out of. So I just don't worry about it. The indices are constructed in a way that you may or may not agree with. I happen not to agree with them. To stereotype, and I know stereotyping is wrong, but to stereotype, the growth index is comprised of a bunch of tech stocks. And the value index is comprised of a bunch of old financials and oil stocks. But as a value investor, I own a bunch of tech stocks and I have for a long time. As a matter of fact, my partner, Rob, he accused me the other day of being a growth investor. And I told him, you know what? You're exactly right. I'm a conservative value guy buying growing businesses. My largest position is Apple, symbol AAPL, and I've owned it for a number of years. I didn't exclude it from my portfolio just because it was considered a growth stock. I want to own growth. I want to own massive growth, but I only want to pay a realistic price for it. Price matters. Up until last year, you could have bought Apple at about 14 times earnings. That was for a high-quality company growing at better than 35% a year on average for the last 10 years. What matters is not what index it's in or what someone is calling it. It's whether it's a good quality company that's run by good managers in the interest of their shareholders and that it's growing. And I want it growing faster than the market. And of course, I want to buy it at a reasonable price. Price matters. That's what matters. From a strategy standpoint, right now, I want to favor large caps over small caps. I said earlier, when the market typically bottoms out and starts to rebound, small caps outperform. Well, I'd still avoid them. I want to favor the large caps over the small caps, the bigs over the smalls. I think the days in the sun are over for the small caps. They've rewarded us over the last couple of years, and I'm thankful. But we need to think about going forward. As a group, I think they're fully valued, even overvalued, depending on how you want to look at it. Let me give you four reasons, four reasons why I'm thinking this way. First, the small caps are severely Debt saddled, and you always have to worry about the balance sheet. Balance sheets matter. Over the last couple of years, these small caps have loaded up on cheap debt, and they're much more leveraged when you compare them to their large cap brethren. Second, small and medium sized businesses have a higher dependency on bank credit as opposed to the bond market, the bond market access that the mega caps enjoy most bank credit which the small and mid-sized businesses rely on most bank credit is floating rate debt and so are the lines of credit as the fed raises interest rates the interest expense or the interest cost of the small and mid caps are going to skyrocket in a relative sense this is going to weigh on net profits so given all the debt they've put on and the rising cost of that debt, you would imagine more pain is coming down the pike. Third, you have the wage factor. Small cap stocks generally have smaller margins, roughly mid-single digits, or about 8% below what the large caps have. According to the NFIB, that's the National Federation of Independent Businesses, The NIFB, their latest survey says labor costs are going up. We've all heard that Amazon has raised their minimum wage to $15 an hour. The large companies can better absorb the cost increases. So you're going to have thinner margins and rising costs. And lastly, these stocks are just more volatile. I've been saying that volatility is making a comeback. When the Fed increased their balance sheet and dropped rates to to basically zero, volatility basically just disappeared. Now it's going the other way. The balance sheet is shrinking, rates are going up, and volatility is making a comeback. Thankfully, wide lapels and bell bottoms are not making a comeback when a stock is more volatile, less predictable, i would argue you should pay less for it. thus, when you add it all up, you have companies with high debt with a high debt bur- uh, burden, excuse me, high debt burden, rising interest rates, a lack of valuation cushion and more volatility. well, common sense would tell you that these are things you might want to avoid. Last week, I shared with listeners the top five ideas I had that I had on my buy the dip list. I would recommend that if you missed that show, go back and give it a listen. There are at least three of them that I think you can start nibbling at, but you got to do your own research. Let me finish with what I started with, which was the conclusion the market is undergoing a healthy reset during this crash-prone month of October. But I believe, post-midterms, it should make an attempt to vault to new highs into the year-end. I've talked a lot about the market, the technicals, asset allocation. The things you should always look at, or the thing you should always look at first, is the fundamentals buy good companies when you think that you're getting a good deal and you have a good margin of safety. If someone tells you price doesn't matter, either walk walk away or tell them they're wrong. That's all for this week. We'll be back next Wednesday. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. To the show, now it's time for the really good stuff. So, listen up, it's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well. They're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML financial group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification,